Hello everyone, this is Red Barricades, welcome! I don't know, this is so chaotic already. Uh, <laughs> my name is Nemo Martin, I use they them pronouns. We've, I've never introduced a show like this before. I think I just panicked in thinking I actually don't know what I'm going to say for my introduction. What have we done together recently? <laughs> so we can what, share one. What have we done together recently? I uh, swear Mission I saw Impossible? you. Oh my god, yeah! We... <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's been a while since we've we've had an up, uh, uh, a franchise that we've sat and and done, but we do we do usually talk about the franchises that we go and do, and so this time it was Mission Impossible, and then I had the re- the reminder was it last night when I was reading I, I've been reading Fix obviously <laughs> since since then uh, for like a straight week. And um, I don't know why it was only yesterday that I like was in bed and had the realization slash remembrance that I was going to name myself after Benji Dunn in Mission Impossible, played by Simon Pegg, and was like, wow, what an alternate reality that yeah. could have been. <laughs> what would your life look like? Because I'm sure it would have looked different. I feel like Benji Martin has a completely different vibe yeah. than the, the, Nemo Martin does. Yeah, the vibe, like, because I... I, like, wasn't just saying it to be like, oh, Nemo, it's, like, it would have been fine if you'd name yourself Benji. Like, I do mean that. <laughs> Benji was one of my favourite names for mm. quite a while in my, like, teen years. It's just, mm. like, the cutest name. It does make me think of, like, a small dog, but, like, in a good way. Um, <laughs> yeah. But then one of my aunt's boyfriends is called Benji, and he's just, like, a big, bold plumber. <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> then I'm like, well, Benji's gone now. The Benji that I imagine when I think of a Benji. You would have mm. been a very cute Benji. Yeah, I feel like I feel like it's because it's short for Benjamin, right? But it doesn't have the the ethos that Benjamin brings with it. Yeah. I don't know. It's very like it's it's a non-binary name if I've ever heard one. <laughs> yeah, it does I it does like make you want to be pinching che- like cheeks. <laughs> Face cheeks, not yeah. your ass. <laughs> but maybe that, who knows who you would have been as Benji. Yeah, I would have been the super sexual person, actually. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's all in came, yeah, like literally just from Nemo and Martin. Yeah, I feel like if I ever, because there are quite a few like competitions and stuff where you have to like, um, have a nom de plume. I feel like if if that ever comes to pass again, I'll I'll, I'll choose to be Benji Sukimoto. That's mm. a like wow, a completely different person. Yeah, I'm excited um, to to meet Benji Sujimoto. <laughs> <laughs> this is Autumn Secret. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> the uh, name my mom regrets not giving me. <laughs> It was so close. Oh my God. It was Autumn Secret or Ariel, which was either After the Little Mermaid or the non-binary spirit in the Shakespeare play, depending on if she was pretending that <laughs> she was being smart about the name or just into Disney. In in a in an alternate alternate universe, you would have been called Ariel and I would have been called Nemo, and then we could have been the Disney twins. Oh my god. <laughs> that would have been too much. We'd we'd be having a different podcast. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we would legally be obliged to have a Disney <laughs> podcast. Uh this is actually Stevie. Uh she they. Um yeah. I'm not even gonna do one. You heard what I we were up to from Nemo. Uh from uh, Benji, sorry. If you were Autumn Secret, I feel like you wouldn't be she they, you would be they them. 
Oh. Even are they he? I don't know. I feel like <laughs> this is right I'm getting from Autumn Secret. From I feel Autumn like Secret. also Benji Sigimoto is also a he they. Yeah. We could have been completely. <laughs> I'm just like, <laughs> we need to play, we need to role play as these characters. <laughs> we need to bring them into the world. Our, 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 our dark doppelgangers. Yeah. I want <laughs> cringy anime fan art of what we look like, Nemo, <laughs> on my desk. <laughs> And I'll think about what their podcast would be. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, unfortunately for you all who chose to click on this Lame This podcast, this is a Lame This podcast. You wouldn't guess it. <laughs> you would not. Um, where we left off. Oh Wait, my God. No, yeah. sorry. <laughs> oh no, no. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, I already forgot. Would would the he theys have better memories than these theys? Hmm. Would they be more scrupulous or less? I feel like, no, they would be talking over each other more. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Less. They wouldn't be good people. We're in the right timeline, Stevie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, before we started, I just went, because I was editing the other episode, and, and, uh, and then happened to be reading something else for my PhD, because I talk a lot about the BBC adaptation in my PhD, and we've talked a bit about like the color blindness. Well, we've talked a lot about the BBC adaptation. But one of the big things that I talk about in my PhD about it is the like quote unquote color blindness, uh, which is what they said that the casting practices. And then I was like, bullshit. Um, but in regards to the term color blind, I was looking for a article that would kind of explain like why blindness as metaphor is problematic because it kind of. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's kind of self-explanatory, but using a disability as a metaphor for like obtuseness or ignorance or even ones that are supposed to be good, like colorblind is supposed to be a good practice. It still carries with it. It's still a metaphor. You're still using this thing. And um, I found this article by Naomi Shaw called blindness as metaphor and she calls blindness as metaphor like a casual cruelty and offhanded thoughtlessness and it was really interesting and yeah it was like if you want to learn more about this you should read this article i was like reading through it and like bear in mind this is this had nothing to do with the actual lame is side of it i was just looking for blindness as metaphor like five pages in naomi shore is like and anyway victor hugo <laughs> i was like oh my god what's he doing here um and it's because he has uh this other novel called l'homme de vie uh the man the boy who laughs the boy who laughs i think um which got turned into a musical called the grinning man um but it's about this boy who as he's a kid gets this huge like basically joker smile carved into his face oh and that's probably also where the joker got that from um <laughs> thanks victor hugo um <laughs> yeah so he gets this like huge smile carved into his face and he falls in love with this girl uh, i think called bria who is blind and uh she falls in love with him and one of the quotes in the novel only one woman on earth saw Gwynplaine. It was the blind girl. These two miseries found shelter in each other. Uh, each had a deep need of the other, and this was the bottom of their loves. 
had Dea not been blind, would she have chosen Gwynplaine? Had Gwynplaine not been disfigured, would he have preferred Dea? Um, so yeah, it has a lot of the like blindness as love or love as blindness mm. kind of metaphors in it. And so it's just like, we made a point a couple episodes ago, or like we were kind of like, oh, there was that like um, hospital for the blind and the mute or the deaf and mute in mentioned as Marius was like wandering around looking for Alouette we were like oh it's maybe it's Victor Hugo doing this and now I'm like I think it is mm-hmm. <laughs> given given um, given what he wrote with other like deaf and blind characters I'm gonna say gavel put down <laughs> it wasn't just like here's some scenery it was like a, a thing so yeah. yes Anyway, that was a long-winded way of saying, I think that we were right. <laughs> yeah. I, like, was listening to everything you said after it, but <laughs> when you mentioned that, um, oh, maybe the Joker thing came from oh. Victor Hugo thing. <laughs> yeah. It was just like, oh, Victor Hugo does live in a society. <laughs> That's just this bet. Like, I should have seen it coming. Like, I didn't know that he... I don't even know what that plays about, but I feel like I need to think about some things later. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's quite funny. Like, you can really... Victor Hugo's work, even the ones that you don't think that you know, has influenced so much. Like, like my housemate, Rumsey, he's really into Batman, and... Um, he knows that I'm very into Les Mis and, and so one time he was like oh I bet you can't make Batman relate to Victor Hugo or to Les Mis and I was like well I can easily because Joker's got a big grin uh, carved into his face and that trope is probably from Victor Hugo so uh, sucks to be you actually that was yeah. an easy one yeah make it harder <laughs> And I love that you were like, when, like Nemo messaged me immediately after this <laughs> happened in real time. That like, because you especially, like now me by association and from us doing this for so many years, but because you've been on this train way longer, mm-hmm. you've invoked Hugo's soul and spirit and ghost so much that you're even when you're trying not to have anything to do with him he's now waiting around <laughs> every corner to just like punch you in the face and be like you should be thinking about me he is he really is it's quite it's quite horrifying question yeah. mark i don't know like I, yeah that's how i felt when i was just like watching my housemate play a really sp- but I think that now the Persona game has been like officially translated into English and released mm-hmm. not just mm-hmm. in Japan, but just like yeah. watching them watch footage of this game and I was like, it's literally Les Mis and then it literally actually legitimately was Les Mis. Like I do still want to sit down and play that game and then I'll do a special on that. But yeah. when, when that happened to me that I was like, was Hugo always here or is <laughs> Is, am I doing he just now noticing or is he bumping into me? He's purposely bumping into you, Nemo. It's Hugo's world and we're just living in it, really. <laughs> we're his sims. He's forcing <laughs> us to care about his work and do this every week. We're evangelizing his work through everything. Just being like, did you know that actually uh, popular JRPG 20 Persona 5 Strikers 2019 is about the word of God, Victor Hugo. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, it's so cringe of us. <laughs> I feel like for most people, it's like, oh, wow, you're able to like reference this great work of art. And us, we're like, oh, no, it's like being on Tumblr in 2012. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I have conversations with people sometimes because they're like, oh, wow, like Liam is. That's such like a, to use that word that I hate, highbrow thing. <laughs> like, wow, that that's so like... Um, I can't even think of words, but you know, Smart and it does. Boy of you. Yeah, basically, and it do, like it always reminds me that like we have such a warped idea. Mm. Oh yeah, because I was talking to my supervisor today, and she was like, you know, in the conclusion of your PhD, you should say like other fandoms that this could that your work could like go on to do next. And she was like giving, trying to give me suggestions. She was like, "Oh, what about um, Mary Poppins?" And I was like, "That doesn't have a fandom like no. Les Mis, obviously." And she was like, "Oh, really? Okay, what about something like Phantom of the Opera?" And I was like, "Close, but it again doesn't really like Hamilton and Les Mis are pretty like out there in." Consider, like if you consider how big Cats is, it does not yeah. have a huge fandom. Like Lemis has a wildly different kind of fandom. She was like, "Oh, okay. So what about like Notre Dame de Paris?" And I was like, "Again, no. I'm <laughs> like, gonna need you to name some things with some pretty boys that can be shipped together, <laughs> ma'am." Yeah. I was like, honestly, I think the closest you might be able to get is like the Three Musketeers. And but even that's even, no cigar. Yeah, exactly. It's just like, oh, you really have, even after four years of knowing me, my supervisor <laughs> has no concept of what is fandom. Yeah. What has a fandom and what doesn't. And I was like, it's not like people who really like the show. It's a completely different ballpark. Yeah. But yeah, I guess in our head, it's so warped that we're like, oh, God, the, the latest 2012 <laughs> fans. <laughs> yeah true I do forget that I forget that when I tell friends who I forget that not all my friends are on tumblr or in fandoms mm. that went like with my D&D group when I was like oh it's really embarrassing but I have a podcast about Les Mis and it was the same <laughs> where they were all like oh wow and I was like no not oh wow yeah. <laughs> like we're trying to be less fan- I think we were trying to be less fandomy about it like four years yeah. ago and now we've yeah. given up yeah. <laughs> but yeah they did and i'm like well yeah and like a lot about you know jean valjean and javert is a big ship and that's a big reason why we're here and they were like what (laughs) yeah jean valjean and javert and you're like you're not ready to listen to my podcast (laughs) yeah i guess we had taken that for like well yeah like you say i think in the beginning we were very much like oh we're not like the like, other girls. Yeah, we're gonna try and be academic about this, but then I guess I think maybe what's happened is that we've seen that the rest of the people making stuff about Lemis are on the academic side and not on the fandom side. That's so we're true. like, actually, this is more of the niche thing to do. Are we we're we're a bridge between worlds. Yeah. <laughs> you definitely, your PhD certainly is. Or your, your supervisor and everyone on the the board when you have to like plead your case. They're just like, what? <laughs> yeah, literally. Yeah, I'm like, um, part of me is like, oh, when I prepare for my Viva, is it going to be like 
you know, all of these really hard questions, but I bet the questions that they're going to ask are like, so people actually want like Valjean and Javert to like touch tips or like what? <laughs> it's going to be the uh, Omega lawsuit where they're like <laughs> not even getting into the actual like crimes. They're just like, so Omegaverse, do you own that? No, it's like a, a thing that other people use, but it's a thing that you wrote. Yeah, I wrote yeah. within it. Like these kind of like technicalities where they're just yeah. like, wait, we're not even talking about all the smart things that you said, Nemo. Explain once more. Yeah. <laughs> what yeah. is Velvet? My glossary is so huge, and every time my supervisor reads it, she's like, I don't know what this is. But I'm like, <laughs> but also, oh my god, I went to an academic conference the other day about queerness, and somebody was talking about impotence. So he was like, he did a really, really cool talk. I think his name is Andrew Kaufman. And he was giving an interesting talk about how impotence is a taboo in especially gay male communities. And like, there's been a rise in like, well, it's it's always been a shame, a thing that is shamed within gay community. And, you know, things like Viagra and mm. uh, those kind of things. And, and it's always made fun of, it's butt of jokes. Um, and he was making this case about like the plural plurality of impotence or erectile dysfunction um, and how we can understand that it it's a human reality that has plurality to it. And like, I don't know what possessed me, but I was just like, well, he isn't talking about it. So I, I wonder. And so I was like, hi, um, this is going to be a really weird thing. But have you ever read any fan fiction before? And he was like, no and this was again in a crowd of like 50 academics at a conference and i was like mm, interesting well it's just that i've read quite a lot of the miserable fan fiction for my phd <laughs> for research purposes and in old men's ships impotence is sometimes like a fetish or like it's not i guess there are some some fics in which it is shameful um that i've seen but there are others in which it's not and it's like yeah a fetish and it, it would that come under the plurality mm. plurality and he was like wow i've literally never seen any like gay male porn that fetishizes erectile dysfunction um so that would be really fascinating to read and i was like cool man i'll send you a link to <laughs> elena's fan fiction then great oh. I like to think that that was, I don't know, I don't know if nice is the right word for him, but mm. like, because if he's out here being like, can we like not be shit about it? Yeah. At the very least, because I know that fetishizing something is not the same as being nice about it. Yeah. But at the, yeah. at the very least, very interesting for him. Yeah. And I was trying to be like, you know, not that I'm saying that fetish is a good way of seeing yeah. it, but like, uh, on the spectrum of like how we talk about erectile dysfunction, yeah. like have you ever seen anything that that does that? And he was like, no. And I was like, yeah. So that would be interesting, especially because I'm assuming this fan fiction, because of the demographic of Ao3, was written by either a non-binary or a female person or a trans-masculine person, a person born without a penis, mm. most likely, um, especially in Les fandom. Yeah, so she's like, yeah, it's really interesting take that that's where it would be found. But yeah, so anyway, we have gone so off topic. <laughs> we spent 25 minutes talking about this. Like 20 minutes ago, 
you brought up Marius in that fuel, and I was like, oh, there's my in. Where we left off was Cosette is becoming a, well, becoming a woman. She's like becoming 16, mm. 15 even. Um, and we had all that garden stuff, which is also, I guess, reflecting the <laughs> new things going on in her heart and body. Um, and she had noticed Marius mm. in the Luxembourg Gardens. And we're diving in there with the beginning of the end of v- Victor Hugo over Jean Valjean's good time. Really quickly. Like, I know this is a tangent and it's not at all linked, but if you don't know the history of Paul Gauguin, I don't know how to pronounce his name properly, but I read his Wikipedia page today because of something that someone said in an article. Oh my god, that man. Like, wild story. Like, the artist, and he, 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 he lived in France most of his life, but then he was like, I'm I'm gonna live with the natives. And then he like went to loads of places in, in French Polynesia and like knocked up like five 14 year old girls. Oh, and that's why it was like tangentially linked. Mm. But like, I've never heard any of this before. And I was like, I know the name Goga and I could, pro- I don't know if I could point out a painting of Gauguin's, but like, it's a fairly well known dude. And he has like not 20 children, but like, 10 children, five of them with his wife and then like five with random girls and yeah anyway, sorry, I was just like you should read his Wikipedia page, it's pretty not great racially and uh, age related wise, yeah. but it was kind of like it was just like an open secret that he married married quote unquote 14 year old girls and then had their babies like nine months later, so I recognise his chin. I looked at his images and his paintings. Mm. I think, yeah, I think I've seen, I've seen at least one of his paintings before. Mm. Um, well, at least because that's fifteen. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna tr- try and get some of that energy back. <laughs> yeah. There, like, there's some absolute. You know that nothing makes you love a man like them dunking on Marius. Yeah, yeah. Jean Valjean yeah. is on such good form. <laughs> Excellent. I can't tangent myself, but we, I have to get through some of these chapters before I'm allowed to tangent into the next fanfic that I want to manifest. <laughs> okay. So, the battle begins. Cosette is like... So while Marius was like, haha, I'm being so sneaky, looking at this girl, Cosette has actually been doing the same thing. Mm. Destiny has slowly brought these two together, charged and pining away with raging electricities of passion. Mm. Um, I know about electricity, says Victor Hugo. Yeah, I was was slowing down because I was like, does this say electrons? But I was like, either way, he's like, I know some... Things about smart people stuff. <laughs> the glance has been so overexploited in romantic novels. It's been <laughs> eventually discredited. You hardly dare say nowadays that two people fell in love because they looked at each other. <laughs> Yet that is the way and the only way that people fall in love. 
<laughs> my OCs are different to all of your stupid bad OCs. So the reasons for falling in love come after it's all in the glands. Um, <laughs> Do you think that like when Boobul and Schoenberg, the people who made the musical, read the like, oh, they glance of electric, they were like, that will sound too anachronistic. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Or like Marius and Cosette meet each other, they like glance at each other and they're like, electricity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if it had been instead made by, um, oh my God. Got Andrew, Andrew Lloyd Webber. <laughs> when they looked at each other, an electric guitar riff would have yeah, gone up. Yeah, well, there was I'm kind of... there was more disco in the original French. Mm, this is true. We need to carefully study it to hear if there's some like <laughs> when they look at each other. Because <laughs> that's the only canonical way that you can represent that. Yeah. So you know they finally met eyes um, in that park so long ago when we were in Maris's POV yeah. he had no idea that so she had no idea that her glance had disturbed Marius and Marius had no idea that he had his glance had disturbed Cosette um, causing her the same pain and pleasure yeah. um, but she she has been noticing him a lot longer than he's noticed her mm. and you know, when they first were in the gardens together, because I think they were going to the same gardens for, it wasn't quite a year, but like it was quite a while. Yeah. Before he was like, oh, she's hot now because I've not looked at her for a bit. Before um, her 15th birthday. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> at least it wasn't before that, yeah. I guess. Um, Marius had still found Cosette plain mm. when she was finding him handsome. Mm. And she could sort of tell like a lot of these things Hugo's like that feminine intuition like he's yeah. like we could never understand why or explain how but like sometimes women just know these things and I'm like to be fair actually sometimes you do just know these things mm. I don't think only women know these things but sometimes there are things that a person can just inexplicably tell yeah and she can tell that he's not paying any attention to her so she's like, well, whatever, and she's indifferent to him. Mm. But like, then she's like, okay, he's she's looking at him and his fine teeth. Oh my god! When how his teeth come out? Like, what is he doing? He's just like walking around the trees, like skulking around with his teeth, like eh. <laughs> like a horse. Yeah. He's like chewing scud. And I, I do, I do like. I guess get on Cosette. You got to appreciate like I there's also some great Cosette parts in here that she's mm. like okay yeah he walks with a slouch but he's like got a, his own kind of grace to that slouch. She's trying real hard. <laughs> yeah. She was like he doesn't seem all stupid. <laughs> uh, I have to respect that she's like yes I guess like she is seeing him all, like, all of him and is like, okay, yes, I'm still into it. It's like, instead of having, like, girlfriends, she's got loads of girls on her shoulders who are, like, whispering, like, you know, in, like, 2000s, like, girl magazines that are, like, they had, like, bubble, 
what's it called? Like yeah, public courts and stuff, and it'd be like, oh, he he's he's got this quality or that quality. I can't do it justice. It, like they had such a yeah. good language of themselves, but yeah, she's like reading that about him. His fine teeth. <laughs> he he's there's like something like gentle, simple, but proud. In short, he looked poor but distinguished. Yeah. Um, so she she does start feeling feelings, but she doesn't really understand. Like even at, like she doesn't understand them for some time. So especially mm-hmm. at this at the, in the beginning of this, she's just like I'm feeling some kind of way. Yeah. And then there's the day where they like meet eyes, and Marius is like, "Oh, is she attractive?" Mm. And she notices that she's like, "Oh, he seems to be paying attention to me now." Mm-hmm. Um, but at this point, the attention was not in the least welcome. And she's a bit angry about it, actually, mm. with this disdain hollow, um, mm. underlying hostility stirred within her. She sensed, and this gave her a holy childish joy, that she was at last to have her revenge. Yeah. <laughs> have your revenge. Because now she knows she's hot, too. Mm. And... In some indistinct way, in this way that women have, and mm. how could we ever have to understand? Um, she is aware that her beauty is her weapon. Mm. And then, because it's Hugo, women wield their beauty the way children play with knives. They hurt themselves with it. <laughs> God. I was reading something about that, um, you know, women are from Venus, men are from Mars kind of thinking or like, I I was actually reading something about uh, race, obviously and um, that same idea of like, even within white women and white men, when white men are like, oh white men will never understand white women's thoughts, it was also part and parcel with the idea of that like that taxonomic difference of we will never understand, we white people will never understand the Asian people's brain or we will never understand what black people are thinking mm. uh, in the kind of idea of building these like separate brains, essentially. Like we oh, are separate species. Yeah, yeah. We are separate. Um, like we cannot communicate with each other because we yeah. don't belong to the same race. And so why even try and understand exactly? Each other? Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. And the like incompatibility of like uh, the ability to like mix between yeah. each other or understand each other and stuff like that. So yeah, woo! Yay! Yay. <laughs> he goes like, remember, like let's not forget Paul Marriott. Like let's not forget how he was feeling. Hmm. His misgivings, his agitation, his fears. So how could we ever understand what a woman's <laughs> thinking? But reader, please understand this boy. Yeah. Well, um, the reader has got to be a man, right? So perhaps. Yeah. So if only it was Autumn Secret and Benji <laughs> doing this podcast. We that would, would make you go Oh proud. my god! Imagine. We would love and support Marius. We would be projecting ourselves onto. We would want sure. to be Marius. Has anyone ever loved and supported Marius? <laughs> well, maybe Hugo. we'd be the first. <laughs> Breaking new ground. Yeah, that. Yeah, that's a great alternate. I I like this alternate history of us. <laughs> so 
Marius, he, we remember and understand his misgivings and fears. Mm-hmm. He has been like looking at her, but he's been staying over on his bench. Mm-hmm. And that annoys Cosette. Yeah. She's like, he's not going to come to me, motherfucker. <laughs> I'll go to you then, see how you like that. <laughs> The first symptom of true love in a young man is timidity, and a young girl is boldness. This may seem surprising, but nothing could be more natural. <laughs> it's the two sexes tending towards each other and taking on each other's characteristics. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm, yeah. <laughs> like, I love, like, I love Cosette being the one to be like, okay, you fucking coward. <laughs> We've been making eyes. I'll go over there then. But I do not like his reason. No. Yeah. Yeah. I do like the kind of, yeah, you can picture it in the like modern AU where they're at the student union and Cosette is like with Eponine and she's like, all right, I'm going to fuck that boy. And everyone's like, what? (laughs) And she's like the the picture of like flower child. Yeah. Like, oh, like very delicate and small and it's just like, yeah, I'm pegging him tonight. And everyone's like, what? That one. What? Cosette Pegs episode title. There we go. Yep, nice, good. And also a true end of fact. <laughs> that, so the day that that happened, when she walked past him and like made really intense eyes at him, and he was like, oh, it kind of feels like she's trying to communicate something to me. <laughs> um, so that that's the day that her glance infuriated Marius, mm-hmm. and Marius's glance made Cosette tremble. And he went away confident, and she was a bit disquieted. And then from the next day on, they adored each other. <laughs> yeah, of course. So, step one, stage one, Cosette is feeling a deep and obscure sadness. Seemed to her from that day, her soul had turned black because she no longer recognizes it. Mm. Um, and this is so, yeah, as I kind of alluded to at the beginning of the chapter, she doesn't know what it is she's feeling. She doesn't know what love is in like this form because she's been raised in a convent and then also with Jean Valjean who also has never experienced this yeah. kind of thing. But she's just like, I'm feeling some kind of way, but like, I- am I ill? I like, I, I doesn't, yeah, I, I don't know. Also, like um, in her childhood, she never saw like romantic love between anyone. Yeah, I'm exactly. assuming, yeah, that yeah, just love for God. <laughs> What an interesting, yeah. I I also think that if if she had described those feelings to Valjean, he'd be like, "Oh my god, you're having a heart attack." What? Literally, <laughs> literally, it goes in that she's like, you know, she she doesn't know whether what she's feeling is good or bad. That if she if she had described how she she was feeling to someone, if they had been like, "You're not sleeping. That's not allowed. You're not eating. That's terrible. You're breathless and you have palpitations. Unacceptable." Um, you blush and turn pale when a certain human being in black appears at the end of a certain garden path. Oh my god. Dreadful. <laughs> like, she wouldn't have understood. She would have just been like, I, you can't blame me for something I don't even... I can't help and I don't know how to understand. Yeah, I mean, also, if she had described it that way and been like, there's a man at the end of the path <laughs> dressed in black, like, oh my god. <laughs> like, holy shit. Death is, like, come for you. Yeah. Oh, Cosette. Oh, um, yeah, really, like, yeah, living the approximate lifespan of a person in this. <laughs> this is true. Oh, well, 
this is actually the best kind of love that could happen to her right now, says Hugo, because it's like this distant adoration. We're not speaking to each other, it's just some silent contemplation. The deification of a stranger, because if if she'd actually had an encounter where, like, if he actually had come up to her to be like, hi, <laughs> that would have just frightened her in this initial stage. Mm. Um, so because she's in this transitional period of the fears of a child combined with the fears of a nun, but becoming a woman, um, anything more than exactly this that is happening would have been terrible. Wow, Providence. Oh, making it so. <laughs> <laughs> it was not a lover that she needed. It was not even an admirer. Ad- uh, not even an admirer. It was a vision. So... She just begins adoring Marius as something charming and impossible and luminous. Mm. And because extreme innocence verges on extreme flirtatiousness. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, God. I was like, uh, mm-hmm, and then was like, the words filtered into my brain. And I was like, oh, God, no. No. But, you know, said with his whole chest, Victor Hugo, yeah. extreme innocence verges on extreme flirtatiousness. She smiled at him quite openly. So I guess it's that, like, she's so young and not worldly yet. Yeah, that she doesn't know not to just smile at him with, like, a whole grin, I guess. Yeah. Which is more shocking than, like, little coy glances or whatever. Mm. Yeah, they're both just like in the same space where they'll just like look at each other, not greet each other. They don't know each other. They just like see each other like the stars of heaven. To be fair, that was also like me in Freshers having gone to an all girls school and never really interacted with any boys outside of my brother's friends and was like just talking to a male friend as I had talked to all of my female friends my entire life and was like, why is he reacting in this way? what is happening oh I literally can't imagine being in an all-girls school (laughs) and then being like I can't imagine that and then I can't imagine going from that to being released into mixed company (laughs) yeah literally (laughs) it's like compliment a, a man on his clothing because you know, going to an all-girls school, that's just, like, a way of saying hi and friendship building and then everyone being like, ooh, flirting. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> What's happening? Oh, oh Nemo. Yeah, so I do, I get it. Because <laughs> I, yeah. I get it. Like, okay, you, you get it. <laughs> yeah, like, smiling at a boy and then, like, having that be, like... Taken mm. for flirtatiousness. I get it from that perspective. I don't get it from yeah. Hugo's stupid perspective. Yeah. Hugo and everyone else reading into innocence. God damn you, can we not just <laughs> yeah. be nice to each other? <laughs> Literally, she's smiling like she would if she had met someone new. <sighs> well, I guess luckily for Hugo and for them, they do like each other. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we got the stars. So are you saying, so the stars are around when God is looking? Yeah, I think so. Uh-huh. So, the, like the stars in heaven, millions of miles apart, they mm. existed gazing at each other. Yeah. So 
Yeah. And because Providence and whatever made sure that they met each other, I yeah. guess God's like, hee hee, OTP. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, chapter two was. <laughs> oh, Jean Valjean. Oh. <laughs> oh, all situations have their instincts. Old and eternal Mother Nature gave Jean Valjean covert wa- warning of Marius's presence. Yeah. He shudders in his <laughs> innermost psyche. <laughs> he. So, like he doesn't at first like see what's going on, mm. but you know he's always he's always quite alert, and he can tell that something is taking shape, and on one side and something is disintegrating on the other. So he's like something's wrong with the vibes around me right now. <laughs> he just like, Marius is walking in the park and suddenly like looks around, darting, looking at every person in the <laughs> eye, like what the. F- I got anime chills. (laughs) Yeah, his spidey sense went off. But Marius has also, like, because Mother Nature, Hugo's like, Mother Nature's just like this. Mm. Um, She's also warned Marius that he's like, oh, I need to avoid being seen by this father. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, this just is so good. because Vajon, he does occasionally catch sight of him because Marius's behaviour was not in the least natural. Oh my god. <laughs> Shifty, inept in his boldness. He sat at a distance, but is in, in ecstasies. So, like, I'm yeah. imagining everyone in this park just looking at this fool, just like, what is up? Like, with his horse face, just yeah, like... Make- his teeth out, <laughs> his fine teeth. <laughs> Pretending to read a, read his book, pretending to whom, um, and he used to come in his old coat, but now he's in a new one every day. And you can't say for certain his hair hasn't been curled, oh, and there's a peculiar look in his eye anyway. In short, Jean Valjean cordially detested this young man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's like, uh, I'll wait for the next one and then I'll tangent. Okay. Um, Meanwhile, Cosette is giving us nothing. Because mm. <laughs> she can kind of tell. <laughs> I need to keep these feelings hidden. I don't know why, but like something's telling me it's just for the best. Mm. So she's not giving anything away. But Valjean's like, hmm, Cosette's wanting to like dress really well now and has developed a fashion sense. And maybe it's just coincidence, a very ominous one, that this boy has started dressing better as well. He's like the woman with the masks going around him, like doing all these rapid calculations. <laughs> doesn't know what it adds up to, but he doesn't like the answer. Yeah. So he's at first, he's like, I'm not gonna breathe a word of this to Gazette and then one day it just becomes too much and with the despair of one suddenly taking a sounding of his misery he says to her now there's a pretentious looking young man (laughs) what a fucker am I right (laughs) what an ugly disgusting rat of a human being I wouldn't be caught dead (laughs) even looking at that that pile of absolute trash right Gazette (laughs) <laughs> right uh, and then like excellent work but then like Cosette's also here just like uh, I respect her a lot here 
that it's like a year ago because when she's a carefree little girl might have been like oh no he's very agreeable looking <laughs> 10 years later with love for marius in her heart she would have been like pretentious and insufferable looking you're quite right <laughs> I was like, you know what? Yes, Cosette. Fucking yeah, you were allowed you're allowed this fucking fool if he's the one you want. <sighs> She's keeping it real. Yeah, she is. But as of right now, she's like Oh, that young man over there? As if she's never seen him before. And oh. Jean is like, fuck! She never <laughs> even noticed him. And now I've drawn attention to him. I, I do love their dynamics so much. Yes. So why can if we could have just lived in this time period more, the comedy this could have been. <laughs> I know that's not his goal with this book, but like Hugo, could it, it was it's so good. This is good, Hugo. That you understand <laughs> this. The naivety of the old, the canniness of the youth. Yeah. So now. Oh, Poor Valjean <laughs> through everything that's going to happen. I'm going to know that he's like, I did this to myself. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, In the back of his mind while he's dying at the end of this novel, it's like, I shouldn't have <laughs> fucking pointed out that rat bastard <laughs> on that bench. <laughs> Should have left Valjean well alone. Where would we have been? Yeah. Oh, Valjean, it's not your fault she had noticed him. Yeah. Um, and he goes like, oh, you know, young love in these youthful years of suffering and torment. Um, when, you, you've, you know, there's the desperate struggles to overcome and these initial obstacles, young women do not allow themselves to be caught in any trap, whereas young men fall in every single one. <laughs> mm. Valjean had launched a secret war against Marius. Yeah, yeah, he had. Of which Marius, with a sublime stupidity (laughs) of his passion and his years, was oblivious. (laughs) It's just, Uh, you know, like Assassin's Creed, where, like, um, you have to, like, avoid the guards gaze or whatever and Marius thinks that he's like fully doing it he's like ducking and diving into like hay bales and behind barrels and Valjean just like has murder sight on him the entire time it's just like ready to shoot and kill him at any single point we were so correct when we were imagining Marius hidden behind the tiniest little (laughs) tree like twig of a tree yeah plain view 100% and some things that were implied and to us, but not Marius, were obvious and now made clear that, yes, Valjean had purposely changed the schedule, had moved them to a different bench, had forgot his handkerchief, <laughs> came alone to the gardens just to check what Marius... I think it was that Marius was like, oh, she's not here, I'll just leave now then. Blundering yeah. headlong into every snare that Valjean set... There is, I, I know that we like definitely, have, we were like, oh, the like Marius Valjean ship is funny, but there is a very funny iteration of this where like Marius fully thinks that Valjean's coming onto him. Like he's so unaware of the murder gaze that Valjean's giving him <laughs> that Marius is like, oh my God, this old man thinks that I'm flirting with him. Oh shit. <laughs> oh my God. This is why Kufarak is not throwing him out. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. 
constant like this is Kufarak's free um netflix tv yeah yeah he's like humber i love you so much but like i can't give what will i do like i know some things we can do but like there's just so much here. No, you know what it is? Kufarek and Confer. Marius like goes and is like talking about Valjana being like, oh yeah, and there's this old man, he was like sending good looks, and Kufarek's like, oh my god, was he coming on to you? <laughs> <laughs> and Confer's like, yeah, it kind of sounds like that old man is like trying to fuck you. You probably shouldn't like go there anymore. <laughs> and Marius is like, oh my god, am I like a twink? <laughs> and they're like Yes, Marius, and he's a bear, and he's going to eat you if you can't go any closer. But also, maybe you should investigate that. Anyway, where did you say this park was, and what time do you go? Interesting. <laughs> he left you his handkerchief, you say. <laughs> and they fully know that Valjean, like, they know who Jean Valjean is. They don't even know who, like, like they know all of the stuff. They're meta-narrating, and they're, like... Yes, Marius, you're entirely correct. He's gay and he's fallen in love with you. Maybe you should do something about that. <laughs> <laughs> you, like, I hope, where's that fic for us? Like, <laughs> maybe even it's not Kufarek who's, like, begins the yes ending of, yeah. like, yeah, he is in love with you. Combefer is like, okay, I have to deal with you being in this goddamn house all the time. Yeah. I'm just going to have to mess with him. Yes, 100%. And Kufarek just delighted, like, ooh! <laughs> I like to play this game. Yeah, sure, let's go. Yeah! And actually, Kufarek is like, I'm not usually the one with the moral conscious, but what if Marius is actually killed by this man? And Kufarek's like, then he deserves it, really. For leading him on. Yeah, literally. If maybe he is in love with Marius. God knows why. Yeah. Oh, uh, well, that's my canon. Oh, Valjean, you big dumb bear. He's like, oh, at least Cosette is just so unconcerned with this boy. He's like, he's so certain. He's come to the conclusion that this young whippersnapper is madly in love with Cosette, but Cosette isn't even aware of his existence, even though I accidentally brought her attention to him. Yeah. Only one time. Did Cosette slip up and alarm Jean Valjean? <laughs> it's like they're they've been they've been in the park for three hours, and he's like, "Okay, it's time to go." And she's like, "Already?" Mm. And he's like, immediately, <laughs> sirens are blaring. <laughs> he's like, again, meets eye contact with every man in the area. Like, who was it? Which of you? <laughs> but he's like, I can't just stop going on these walks to the gardens. Because if he do anything out of the ordinary, it's going to put Cosette on her guard. Mm. So, like, everyone here is... Well, Marius isn't bluffing anyone, but Cosette <laughs> and Valjean are bluffing each other. They're 4D chessing each other, like, yeah. <laughs> young man, what young man? I don't even care about going to these gardens, <laughs> but we better keep going. I don't, we wouldn't want to change the routine. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, Valjean's glaring at Marius with a terrible glint in his eyes. <laughs> Uh, he was like he's so sh he was so sure that you know he's put this anger and you know his past behind him mm. and that he's no longer capable of malevolent feelings anymore. Um, <laughs> but but if Marius is going to be around, that he'll become fierce and brutal again. <laughs> oh, Jean Valjean, he fully is like 
I'm going to devote my life to God. And God has given me this perfect daughter to show that, like, God has forgiven me. I'm going to murder this man. (laughs) I'm fully going to, like, rip into his throat with my teeth. And I will go to prison. And I'll do it in front of Cosette. What has he done to me? (laughs) That is, like, almost word for word what he's thinking in the next paragraph. (laughs) Where he's like... Literally, I have been on my knees for 60 years. I have endured every conceivable hardship. I didn't have a childhood, didn't live with family, no relatives, no friends, no wife, no children. I suffered everything on every milestone. I've bled everywhere. I've let people be cruel to me. Even, you know, I've tried to be nice, even when people being wicked. I've tried to become an honest man despite this all and I finally get my reward when that's all over and reach my goal. I've got everything I want, which is literally just for my daughter, Cosette, who I love so much, for us to just like spend some goddamn time together. And then some great booby has chosen <laughs> to come and idle away his time in these gardens. <laughs> literally like the demon knows exactly what is the worst battle and it's a teenage boy (laughs) it's true (laughs) oh he literally he can endure anything else (laughs) 19 years in prison hard labor as a galley slave and he's like take me back there it was easier (laughs) I would rather do another 19 years in Toulon than have to spend 30 more seconds thinking about this teenage boy. Oh, it was too easy for you to overcome everything else, apparently, yeah. said God. I'm going to send in my the cavalry. This was no longer a man glaring at a man. This was no longer an enemy glaring at an enemy. This was a guard dog glaring at a thief. Mm. And you know, like, Marius, the... I fucking love great booby. Um, <laughs> he fo- he's become reckless. He followed them home that one time. He, yeah. even, he even asked the porter about them. Who, of course, oh. was like, Valjean. Well, he didn't use that name, but... In spirit, Valjean, like, there's an inquisitive young man asking about you. Who do you think that is? And the next day, that's when Valjean cast a glance at Marius that Marius finally noticed. And when, a week later, you go. When the porter says it, and Valjean's smiling, but like picks up a heavy rock. <laughs> and the porter's like, Are you okay? And Valjean crushes it in his hand and it turns to dust. And the porter's like, Okay, so I should tell him that you're not here anymore and Valjean like lets the dust blow away in the wind and the porter's like yeah okay yeah you should maybe sit down your face is very red right now well yeah a week later they've moved house yeah <laughs> so the porter's like I see I need a new job <laughs> I think I need to go into witness protection <laughs> um and he vows never stay anything fit in those gardens again because that doesn't complain about this because she yeah once again is like something's telling me i shouldn't (laughs) be speaking about this so valjean doesn't understand 
why she becomes more grave and silent. She becomes a bit sad. And that, of course, makes him gloomy. Mm. So he's like, okay, I'm going to run this test. Cosette, do you want to come to the Luxembourg Gardens? Uh. And she immediately brightens and is like, yes! And he's like, so they go. But by then it's been three months' time and Marius isn't there anymore. Yeah. So the next day, Valjean's like, oh, do you want to come to the gardens? And she's like, no. He's pained by this sadness, but he, I don't know, like, he's, he does this test. I'm like, surely that means he put two and two together. Yeah. But he's still kind of like, oh, what's going on with Cosette? I just don't understand. Because surely he saw that the booby wasn't there. Yeah, like, he knows the booby wasn't there. Yeah. Cause, and then she, he was like testing her to be like, okay, you wanted to go to the gardens, but we came to the gardens and the stupid boy isn't there and now you're sad again. Yeah. What could it all mean? <laughs> yeah. But yeah. And yet he's like staying up at night, like, what is she thinking about? <laughs> and now he's like, oh God, looking back on his time in the cloister, um, in the realm of angels, that he was like, why did I leave? Why did I have us leave? I was. <laughs> It, that Garden of Eden that he so adored is now closed off to him forever, and he'd left it willingly, insanely, just for this. Oh my god. <laughs> and he's like, oh, what lunacy and self-denial have brought Cosette back into this world. Me, poor self-sacrificing hero, overthrown by devotion to Cosette. And he's just like, what have I done? But he doesn't let any of this show to Cosette, so he's literally spiralling hard. Yeah. But outwardly, he's like, it's all good. Nothing's happened. And he's like even more loving and paternal than ever to kind of try and help deal with how sort of sad she's become. Mm. Meanwhile, she's pining away, suffering from Marius's absence, but, but still not fully understanding what it is and why she feels like that. And yeah, once again, that woman's instinct murmured vaguely in the depths of her heart that she should not seem to care about the gardens, mm. um, just act like she's indifferent to it all. And that if she does that, he'll take her back there. Mm. Except that Valjean is like, I gotta take everything she says. You know, if she says she doesn't want to go, I'm not yeah. gonna take her. And she's, and meanwhile, she's like, if I say I want to go, he won't take me. So they're not going, and she's like back it's too late now she regrets not oh saying God. she wants this to go back life to the anxiety it really is <laughs> both of them um and then like they did go that one time but maris wasn't even there so she's just like will i ever find him again and she feels heartache but because she doesn't really get what's going on with her she can't really do anything about it mm. um so she just becomes like despondent she's not really noticing like what the weather is what season we're in. Oh, have we put too much starch in the wash, starch in the washing, or whatever? Like, yeah, she's just kind of out of it. But she's also like, can't let father know I'm feeling like this. So the only thing giving her away is that she's very pale, and that's that her pallor is more than enough to worry him. Yeah, so he'll be like, what's the matter? And she's like, oh, nothing. But then she can tell something's up with him, so she's like, Father, what's the matter? And he's like, nothing at all. Oh my god. These two human beings who've loved each other so exclusively, with a love so touching, and for so long lived together and for the other, 
now suffering side by side, each an account of the other, without telling each other, without blaming each other, just smiling. Mm, they need to go to therapy real bad. <laughs> they do. So we'll leave it at those two chapters. Yeah. So, various things. Uh-huh, yeah. Uh, back when Valjean's like, I'm literally cannot with this fucking boy. <laughs> that Because, I guess... Javert is actually, like, indifferent, a bit indifferent to Marius, but also was just like, I don't even care about this stupid little boy. Yeah. I, and maybe I need to go back and read some more Lemus books. I can't remember if there's enough fix where it's literally, like, what situation could it be that Valjean and Javert aren't even together, but they both, like, have a... are invested in Cosette? Mm. And what brings them together is that they're both like, I fucking hate this stupid boy. <laughs> They're quite in, in like the long fix. They do like as they investigate a case, they do bond over the fact that Marius is like the worst human being in in, in history. In in a reflection of Starlight, I know that like they have to rely on Marius for some information, and Javert is just like this is the worst thing I've ever done in my life. <laughs> yeah, because I can imagine like. Javert being like, oh god, this kid, this like useless boy, he wouldn't even like show up to a court case be- yeah. to like for the case to go through. And Jean Valjean's like, I find that very attractive in a man. <laughs> About <laughs> yeah. you saying that, Javert. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Please say more right now. And either or Jean Valjean's out here seething. Mm-hmm. Like he couldn't be seething more canonically. Yeah. But, you know, he's trying to be like, you know, oh, I love Cosette, though. And, like, his aforementioned, I've gone through everything and I'm trying to be a good man now. That Javert's like, I got you, babe. <laughs> you can't say this shit, but I can. Yeah. I'll do it for you. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll enjoy it. it. It does occur quite a lot in, in the Valfair fix where it's like, Vajan is like... <laughs> bleeding like throwing up blood trying to be like love my son-in-law and Chaver is like he's the absolute worst human in society and Vashon's like no he's my darling son-in-law and I love him a lot and Chaver's like I can go and kill him if you want and Vashon's <laughs> like no he's very precious to me if nothing else that's what's bringing them together <laughs> yeah literally Maybe it maybe it's nice for us to get to revel in those two chapters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because then we're back on in Les Mis next time. Oh, with the miserables. Can be thinking about what sad thing could be yeah. about to happen. Don't you have that to look forward to? Isn't it fun to speculate yeah. about what sad things happening next? So fun. Well, <laughs> I guess <laughs> on that real fun note. Les Mis are up, everyone. This has been Brent to Les Mis podcast produced by me, Nemo Martin, and Julian Yap. Our audio designer is Jade, who you can find on her website, jadeosalvi.com, or on her bandcamp, jadeosalvi.bandcamp.com. If you like this podcast, you can uh, review us or give us five stars on Spotify or on iTunes. Or if you have any comments, questions, or quibbles, you can send us an email to lemispodcast, L-E-S-M-I-S podcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at lemispodcast or on Tumblr at Bread and Barricades. You can also support the show by uh, donating to our Ko-fi or our Patreon, which are in the show notes. Uh, 
And I went through those very fast. I think I went through all of them. You're very patient. Well, thank you for listening. Yeah, thanks. Thank you. In the episode of Behind the Scenes for Trice Forgotten that just came on, is coming out the 23rd of August, I was talking about the Trice Forgotten characters and also about my love of Les Mis, which is a new fact to most people. Most people don't know me as a Les Mis person. <laughs> Can't imagine. Yeah, Can't like literally every time I people are like oh my god you you're doing a phd about les mis and i'm like oh yeah people don't immediately know that when they know me when they meet me and so then someone was like oh is this character based on jean valjean and i was like oh no it started <laughs> <laughs> i thought i had maybe a couple of months <laughs> no. Uh, no immediately second interview <laughs> But I did manage to, yes, shout out Lemmy's podcast on. Yes. On that, so yeah. Hello, any Rusty Quill fans? <laughs> if you came here up on these shows directly from that episode to this one, then Godspeed to you. <laughs> yeah, especially if this was anyone's first one, and we're just like going off for like, <laughs> twenty minutes. Good job. Um, now go listen from episode one, which you can't find on Spotify. You have to go and find it on a different audio <laughs> thing, but you have to go and do it. So, if you want that Nemo lore that will make your Rusty Quill trice forgotten experience richer, only then are you qualified <laughs> to write fix. <laughs> <laughs>